it working now? Okay. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you again for the introduction. Um, I was laughing when you were saying two master's degrees. It was, I have two master's degrees really because I was running from God, like I mentioned last night, right? So I ended up doing a degree because I thought, okay, well, I just need to do something and I do not want to do theology. So I ended up doing a master's degree in international community development. And in the end, I ended up doing stuff with ministry anyways within that degree. And so in the end, I was just like, okay, God, I can't run anymore. You win. Um, so that's why, that's one of the reasons why I'm here, right? Because God did call me to do this. So I'm excited that I get to do it. Um, I really, really like the theme song. I have never actually heard it before. And so I didn't know the words. How many of you had known it before? Okay, so there are some. I was trying to look it up online when Pastor Jared sent me the song, and I found a song that's called, that's called Come Away, but the song was nothing like this. And so I just thought, okay, I guess if he really likes that song, we can do that song. <laughs> but, because it was really about nothing, right? It was just like kind of come away, and that was it. Um, so I thought we can do it. I mean, it'll work. But I'm really, so then when I heard this one, I was really excited because I thought, this is a really great song. I love the words because that's what this week is about, right? Come away, spend time with God. And I'm especially excited about this morning because we're doing chapter 3 of Daniel, which is my favorite chapter. Um, So let's start. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning, and I just pray that these are your words that you are the one who speaks, and that you touch every single one of us. Give us, give each one of us whatever it is that we need to hear this morning. I pray this in your name. Amen. So I really like hiking, and I go on hikes about usually, I don't know, every, every month for sure, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on what's going on. And I usually go with friends, but this one time, my friends couldn't go and my husband couldn't go, so I went by myself. And I went to a mountain that I had never been to before. It's called the Sugarloaf Mountain. But by saying a mountain, it's not like a mountain that we're on over here, right, where you really like have to hike. It's more like a hill. But it's called a mountain, and so I figured, okay, well, I will, you know, I I can do this because it's not like a super far away mountain, really high up, and and I myself can't do it by myself. And everybody said, you know, it's safe, you can do it. So I went, and I followed this red trail up this mountain, and then I took a shortcut because I thought, okay, there was a way to actually go up faster and climb a little bit more, so I did. I got to the top, it was beautiful. I mean, the view is just spectacular, because you can see the whole valley. I mean, it was amazing. So I spent some time with God there, And then I decided to go back down, and I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to do the same path down. That way I don't get lost. So I am going on this red trail, what I think is the red trail, but about halfway in I realize I'm not on a red trail. I'm on an orange trail because the colors just kind of look very similar, and I didn't really tell the difference until then. And at that point I said, well, I don't really want to go back. So I'm just going to continue, and we'll see where it leads me. It's got to lead me down, right? So it did lead me down, but it led me down to the opposite side of the mountain from where I was supposed to be. So when I got down, I realized I had to go all the way around to actually get to where my car was. 
But thinking about this hiking experience, I thought, well, you know, a lot of times this is like life. We actually think that we're going somewhere, and then life takes an unexpected turn, and we end up going somewhere else, because those things happen, right? I mean, talk about right now in Lebanon, the unrest just kind of happened. Think about people in your life. Sometimes you get sick, sometimes people in your life get sick. There's just things that happen, and our lives do take unexpected turns. But what I love about this chapter, and that's why it's one of my favorites, is because it really shows how to deal with those unexpected turns. Like what to do. Yeah, I'm guessing that you guys have probably heard before the saying that if life gives you lemons, make lemonade, right? Well, that's easy to say with lemons, right? Because all you have to do is squeeze them. But how do you really do it in life? I mean, it's a really great saying, but how do you do it? And what I love about this chapter is that they show, the three friends really show how to do it. So that's what we'll talk about. So I want to invite you again to go to Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. And this time I'm going to read a bunch of it. And so hopefully you have a Bible so that you can look at this, at this part. I've told you before that I love the Bible and I love reading it. But I also teach people that every time you read a passage, you need to pretend that you have never read it before. Okay, so as you're reading this chapter with me now, I want you to pretend that you've never read it before and that you're suddenly seeing things new. So as you do that, I also want you to pay attention to words that repeat. Okay, so especially in this part, there are things. So pay attention to them and then I'll ask you to the things that you, for the things that you noticed. So this chapter begins by saying, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width six cubits. This is nine years after this last chapter. So Daniel's about 29 and if his friends were about the same age, they're all about 30 years old. Daniel, though, does not appear in this chapter at all, which means that most likely he was sent out on an errand by the king to do something else somewhere else in the nation, which really would have been easy for him to do because he was a high official, right? In the last, at the end of last chapter, that's what we find out, that he's, he is promoted to a really high position. So now it says that this king builds an image that's all of gold, but it's 60 cubits high and then six cubits wide. Now, if you think about those measurements, it seems pretty disproportionate, right? It's almost like that could not actually stand on its own. Well, I have, let me see if this will work. There's just one picture I wanted to show you. Um, so we'll see if I can show it up because there is a modern example of this disproportionate statue. And that is this, the Washington Monument, okay? So it is really tall and very narrow. That's really what it would have looked like, that statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And there are examples in antiquity of statues like that, that were just super tall and really narrow. But what's interesting about this is that Daniel says it was 60 cubits and six. 
Number six is a Babylonian number, which is what people call a Babylonian number, because it came from Babylon. Everything in their system was based on the number six. So, like, and we still use it today. We still use 60 minutes, 60 seconds, 360 degrees, right? You use them every day, all the time. That, came from, that comes from Babylon. But the number 60 had a special meaning. Number 60 meant unity. And so from the start, when you see this number 60, as a reader, it should trigger in your mind, oh, something is going on, and it has to do with unity. Well, what is that? The king at this point, the most likely, the reason why Daniel is away is because there was a rebellion. This is year 594 BC, and there is a rebellion that happens in the nation where someone decides they don't want to be under King Nebuchadnezzar anymore, and they fight him. King Nebuchadnezzar brings his army and squashes this rebellion, but at this point now he's afraid that there is going to be more rebellion in his nation, and so he says, I am going to do something about this. And in order to do something about this, his idea is to build this statue full of, just made out of gold, and to have everybody come to it and worship it. Because this is how he's going to get unity. Everybody's going to do the same thing. So now I'm going to read it, the first seven verses, and I want you to pay attention to the things that repeat. It says, he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon so that everyone could see it. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud to you, it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All right, so the one that you automatically notice, because I saw your faces, is the word set up, right? So there's only one other time. It, it occurs in the chapter, in this chapter, nine times which is a lot of times, and that means that obviously the author is trying to show us something. The only other time it appears in Daniel is Daniel chapter 2, right before this, at the end of the chapter, and it's chapter 2, verse 44. Okay, so chapter 2, verse 44, go ahead and look there. And it says, and in the days of these kings, as in the kings that are during the time of the feet of the clay and the iron, so all the different rulers, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. So now notice the difference, okay? It says God will set up a kingdom, and now it's saying Nebuchadnezzar sets up 
an image. Do you see what it's saying? The author is pointing out the difference between them, the fact that the king in Babylon is trying to be like God. And yes, he understood that this image that he saw in his dream was not really about him being everything and lasting forever, that it was only God's kingdom that was the mountain that will last forever. But he wants his kingdom to last forever, so he makes it all of gold, and he sets it up, and it's repeated, because every single time, it's like he wants to be God when he really isn't. What's another word that you notice that's repeated, or words? There's a lot of them, so I don't accept the silence. <laughs> so, all right, tell me. Okay, all the people that keep being repeated, right? They're over and over and over. Anything else? The what? Okay, name, name Nebuchadnezzar. What else? The music, yes. The instruments, okay, are being repeated. The image. Worship and fall down, okay? Fall down and worship. Each time it's fall down and worship. Now, what does this mean? So obviously, if you're reading this in today's modern culture, you would think it's kind of ridiculous. Don't you think that? Why are you repeating things over and over and over? But that's the whole point. Daniel wanted you to read it and to think, oh, this is ridiculous, and to chuckle. Because this action is ridiculous. It is ridiculous for people to be for music to play and for people to bow down and worship a statue. A statue is nothing, just a statue. And that's exactly why he wants you to think, this is ridiculous, and he wants us to notice that it's about a mechanical worship. This, this is a nation of robots. They do whatever it is that they are told. He says to bow down, music plays, and they bow down. And then he says it again, and they do it again, and they do it over and over and over. But that's the contrast between true worship and this worship in this chapter. Because God does not want robots that worship him. He created us with brains and minds. He wants us to use them. And he wants us to use our hearts. And not just do something mindlessly. And that's what they're doing here. And the repetition is supposed to make us realize that there's something wrong with this. Because King Nebuchadnezzar is trying to create unity, but he's really just creating conformity because he's making everybody the same. But that's not what God did, right? Just look around in this room. We're all different. And we're supposed to be different. Not all the same. Not all doing the exact same thing. Thinking that that is unity. That is not unity. So now, we realize, okay, well, obviously this is working. Even though it's forced, it's doing something. Because they're all bowing down. And interestingly, it's amazing to me, 
how really, if you think about it, it's not just ridiculous, it's stupid to just like bow down and do whatever somebody tells you, right? But yet, it's the three friends who end up looking stupid because they don't bow down. Isn't that amazing how Satan tricks us in our minds to actually think that when we are the only ones who are doing what is right, then something's wrong? Then if we're the ones who are standing out, then we feel bad? He knows how to get us, right? Even if everybody's doing something stupid, but we're not part of it, we think that we are the problem. And that's what he wants us to think. So now it says, these certain Chaldeans, who are these Chaldeans? Well, they're the original group of Babylon. The first ethnic group, the Babylonians. The people who could call themselves the real Babylonians. And they have been in the story before, because they're the same ones that Daniel has already showed up twice. Right, in chapter 1 and in chapter 2 because they can't interpret the dreams, and they're not as smart as him. And so now, no wonder they're jealous, and they're coming to the king, because really, I mean, come on. They are the original group. They're the real Babylonians. These foreigners, how can they have these high positions? They're supposed to be ours, not theirs. So they come up to the king, and it says they accuse the Jews. And the word for accuse is really interesting. Because in Hebrew, it literally says they took a bite out of the Jews. Because that's really what accusation is, right? It's like taking bites out of people, and there's nothing they can do about it. And then it says, okay, O king, live forever. There are these Jews who you've told to fall down and bow down, but they do not. And notice that it repeats twice. It says they were to fall down and worship, and whoever does not fall down and worship is going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. But, O king, they do not fall down and worship. They do not serve your gods. And Nebuchadnezzar gets enraged, and he calls them, And he says, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? And I am in verse 15. Now, if you're ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship, again, the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands. What is he saying here? He's saying, hello, do you not understand that your God is my captive? All of his stuff is in my temple. This God is going to deliver you? Impossible. That is never going to happen. No lesser God can actually deliver you. And I love their response. It's just amazing. They respond and say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. 
If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. God is able, they say, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. They say, yes, God is able, but if he doesn't deliver us, we will still not bow down. Every time I read this response, I just get these like goosebumps, right? Because I think, I don't know about you, but I admire that response. I think it's so amazing that that's what they say. Like, it's just incredible the faith that they have. What I especially love about it is that it shows that they are worshiping God for who he is and not for what he does. They seek his face and not his hand. And I love that because that is so hard to do. I find myself so many times just asking for things instead of really seeking God for who he is. And that's why I love this story. Because they seek God for who he is. And no matter whether he does this or this or that, they will still serve him. And the story continues. And it says that now Nebuchadnezzar is absolutely enraged. And he commands that this fiery furnace be heated up so much hotter than it has ever been. It says seven times, but really it just means like as much as possible. And then the men who are throwing them into the furnace die. And as they fall in, now I want you to, to read this in verse 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fire furnace. Did you notice? Every single time everybody else was falling down, they never fell down. And now into the place where you think reasonably nobody would ever want to fall down. Who on earth would ever want to fall down into a burning, fiery furnace? But that is the only time that they are mentioned as falling down. And then King Nebuchadnezzar is astonished. And he looks and he's just trying to figure out what on earth is going on. And he's looking into the furnace and those ancient furnaces had, you would just put things up from the top, so that's why they were dropped from the top, and then there was an opening on the side, and so he could see into what was going on inside. And he calls his, his counselors, and he says, did we not cast three men into the furnace? And they said, yes, we did. And he says, but look, look, I see four of them, and they're loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. He calls him. He doesn't know who it is, but he calls him divine. He says this is a divine being that's in the furnace with them. And because Daniel writes it as the Son of God, 
you look through the whole Bible, you see that the Son of God refers to Jesus. So Bible scholars say that this really was Jesus who appeared in the furnace. He came himself to encourage the three friends to be with them in the furnace. He didn't deliver them from the furnace, but he was in there with them. And then Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, bring them out. And as they bring him out, everybody surrounds them because nobody can believe that they don't even smell like the fire. Nothing has happened to them. And then he says, there is no other guy. I'm reading in verse 28. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And then he repeats it again all the way at the end of verse 29 where he says, there is no other God who can deliver like this. There is no other God who can deliver like this. Last night, there was a, a man here. Um, his name is Bassem Fargo. I don't know if any of you know him. Some of you know him. And he was telling me that he was kidnapped twice in his life and that twice God had delivered him. It's just, a, well, just an incredible story. And I, every time I think of you know, this kind of deliverance, I think of all the miracle, miraculous stories that I've heard in my life. And there are many. My dad has had miracles happen to him. There's three of them that I always talk about because there are so many things that God does to deliver us. And so he is the God who delivers us. But he doesn't every single time deliver us the way we want him to deliver us, right? Because there are people who get sick and they will die. So what is this deliverance about? Well, for God, the most important deliverance is your salvation. It's my salvation. That's what it's about. It's not about always taking us out of everything and giving us everything but it's about giving us salvation because that's the most important thing, that we live with him forever in heaven. And for that, all we need to do is say, Jesus, I accept you into my heart, into my life. And I want you to live in me. I want you to make a difference in my life. And that's what's so amazing about God is that I don't have to do anything spectacular for it. In fact, I can't. He does it all. He is the one who saves me because of who he is. But I want to go back to that first question. What do you do when life takes unexpected turns? And what this chapter tells me is that when life takes unexpected turns, I need to seek God's face more rather than his hand. In my life, I told you yesterday that I have Lyme's disease. Because I have Lyme's disease, I was sick for years. The, this year is the first year that I'm actually without pain for almost, for all the time. I was in pain for years and years every single day. 
like from the bottom up. And it wasn't until this year that God led me to things that I have been able to do that I've gotten rid of the pain. But because I have had the Lyme disease and I've been sick for so long, I could never have kids. And I will never have kids. But I have a choice. Either I will choose to seek God's face or I will say, God, I only want you to do things for me. And if you do not change things, then I will not serve you. And I can say that. And I did struggle with that for a time. But I realized that there is nothing better than God in my life. And that I, even though I'm crying now, I had this illusion that I can only be happy if I have the things that I want. But that is not true. I can be happy without the, all of the things that I want. And I have. And it's amazing because God has called me to do ministry. And he has used me in so many different things, in so many different ways. And I know that I could not have done that if I had little kids, right? I could never have done that. I've also, I told you last night, I always said I'm not good enough. And I know that I'm not good enough, but God is good enough. And now my sermons are on the Hope Channel. I mean, how I never ever would have thought that that's even possible, right? That God could actually use me in such ways to reach people. And now I have people from all over the world who say, we heard your sermon, right? And I had a, a girl that just wrote me from the Czech Republic who said, I saw your sermon on Hope Channel. She said, it changed my life. And I have been witnessing for Jesus ever since. And I just think, I may have thought that I can only be happy with certain things, but it's not true. Because God is so much more than the things that I think I want or need. And he gives us whatever it is that we need, as long as we're willing to trust him, to trust him to show up no matter what, because he always does. Let's pray. Lord God, you are an awesome and powerful God who does miraculous things. But the three friends are right. There are times when you don't. And if 
you don't. Lord, help us to have that kind of faith that they had. That it doesn't matter what you do or do not do, but that we seek your face anyways. And so I pray for every single one of us here today that you give us that desire to spend time with you. Because through you comes that joy and peace unspeakable. Lord, work in us and help us to seek you. I pray this in your name and put us all into your hands. Amen.